before I dig into the scripture, I want to tell you about a time that I had an unexpected adventure. Um, and this is, this is particularly for all of you guys doing D-Now, um, because you're, you're almost at this, this point in life. Um, when I was 19 years old, I was finishing my freshman year of college, and at the Wesley Foundation, I've seen a fellow Wesley Foundation person right here, uh, someone at the weekly worship service got up and said, we are going to do a mission trip to El Salvador this summer, and we'll take sign-ups in the back afterwards. And you guys, I had no intention of going to El Salvador I had no plans of doing anything like that, but when someone stood up and said that, it was like something within me began to pull me towards it. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, being pulled towards something almost unexplainably. I would later come to understand the Holy Spirit was leading me, and I was eager to respond. I had had a lot of spiritual growth in my first year of college, um, so I signed up to go on this trip to El Salvador. I called my parents and said, I, Mom and Dad, I'm going to El Salvador this summer. And they said, really? <laughs> so we had to talk about that a little bit before they were okay. And, I, and I, as a parent now, I, I get it. A couple days before the trip, um, we began to notice that there was a weather system developing off the coast of El, Sal El Salvador. Um, as the trip got closer and closer, that weather system started to get worse and worse. And so the night before the trip... Uh, there was talk in the news, if you, you know, not like all of our news, but if you looked at the weather channel in El Salvador, they were talking about it, it may become a hurricane. And so I remember talking to my parents, and I talked to my mom first, and part of this was I wasn't going to get to talk to them for uh, 10 or 12 days. We couldn't at that time make phone calls easily between El Salvador and the U.S. So I was kind of saying, you know, I'll, I'll see you guys in 12 days. It'll be really good. I'll come back with some good stories. And I talked to my mom, and then I remember uh, she put my dad on the phone, and he was aware of the weather system. And he said, Thomas, are y'all are really going down there? I said, well, well, yeah, Dad, the team leader's checking on everything. I mean, everything's, it, it's going to be okay. And he posed the question, well, what are you going to do if it turns into a hurricane? And at 19 years old, I, I really wanted to go on this trip. And I said, well, Dad, if, if there's a hurricane in El Salvador, then I guess we'll be there to help. And, and, you know, you could chalk that up to 19-year-old, um, you know, a little bit of less life experience. My frontal lobe wasn't fully developed. <laughs> but you, you could also, I mean, and I am actually conflicted. The Holy Spirit really was leading me in some powerful ways. So we, we, we went on the trip. Uh, oh, and at the end of that conversation, I think I told my dad, I said, Dad, please don't tell Mom. Because my mom was not aware of what was happening. Uh, so, so we went on this trip. We flew in the next day, uh, got there. Um, by the time we got to the children's home that we were going to serve at, it was getting dark. Um, we went to sleep in our team quarters, woke up the next morning, uh, went to the dining hall, and there is a newspaper sitting there that's just been delivered, uh, the, the Salvadoran newspaper. And on, on the front page, in big red letters, it says, Emergencia which means emergency, they had shut down all the government buildings, all the schools, and the international airport because this thing that was a tropical storm was going to become a hurricane. And for the first time that they had in any records, it was going to go straight through the middle of the country. The eye of the hurricane was supposed to go right over us. I thought, well, this is not what I had expected, but we're here. So we, we did hurricane prep for that whole day. Our, our 
plans to build something turned into hurricane prep. And there were 70 to 75 kids living in this home at that time, a children's home. Um, and so we had to figure out how are we going to have enough water and get them to um, you know, a building that's safe. Most of the stuff down there at the home was cinder block and, um, and sheet metal roofs, which is not where you want to be with, in a hurricane. They did have a big a reinforced concrete building, so we spent, we spent time prepping, basically. This is, uh, this is my team as we're standing on the school, uh, the reinforced concrete building, uh, boarding up windows and getting everything ready, and um, the hurricane was supposed to hit in the middle of the night, and so um, basically every diff different group of kids had a, a classroom to sleep in, and then our team had a classroom. Um, and as we got all the supplies ready, we played with the kids to distract them and then put them to bed, and then we, we just kind of waited at some point, we realized we're, we're probably going to have to go to sleep, and it had been raining a lot, and the rain was getting harder, and I remember going to sleep on the floor of a classroom in El Salvador with my head on my backpack, because we were all just, there was no, like, plan for sleeping. It was, like, stay in this building because it's safe, and I remember thinking, this is kind of crazy, <laughs> but I'm willing, whatever, God, whatever you want to do, however you want to use us, I'm, I'm ready. And I went to sleep. We're doing this series, Come and See. Uh, and it is following The Chosen, uh, season one. Um, and we are looking at Jesus with a fresh set of eyes. Um, it has been really, really good so far. And I've heard from many of you about uh, this has been profoundly impactful for you to look at Jesus, to understand who Jesus is, and how Jesus wants to be at work in your lives. But I got to tell you something, we didn't want to do this series just because we want people to look at Jesus. When we, when we look at Jesus and we hear what he says and we let him work in our lives, Jesus calls us to respond. So the question for today as we wrap up this series is how are you going to respond to Jesus? And, the, and particularly what I've noticed is Jesus tends to lead us out of our comfort zone so I want you to be asking this question, how is Jesus calling you out of your comfort zone as you follow him? So would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful uh, that we get to encounter Jesus. We're thankful for all the ways, Jesus, you have been in ministry to us and in, in our lives. Uh, we're thankful for creative means of showing who Jesus is so that we can have a better grasp of our Savior Come and be at work in us, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way to lead us in the unexpected adventures you might have for each of our lives. Come and minister to us and lead us today as we look at your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be asking that question. Uh, in the story today, which is the story of Jesus encountering a Samaritan woman at a well, um, Jesus leads his disciples into an unexpected adventure. It's an uncomfortable journey because uh, the disciples are Jews and they do not want to go to Samaria. Uh, it's hard for us to kind of imagine that uh, today, but, but the best way to explain it is basically the Jews and the Samaritans had a blood feud that went back to a few hundred years before Jesus when the Samaritans were, joined the uh, invading army that desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. And then about 100 years after that, to get revenge, the Jewish high priest led an army to destroy the Samaritan temple. They had set it up as an alternative place of worship. So while they kind of come from the same people long ago, uh, they, it had become like a big blood feud. 
and they did not want to have anything to do with each other. So there's a great clip from The Chosen this week that shows some of the shock of what it would have been for Jesus to say, hey, we're going to go through Samaria, and I want to show you this clip. This is not actually from Scripture, but it's a great depiction of maybe how a conversation could have happened. Rabbi, where are you going? Do you need something? This way, friends. I'm sorry, but the map shows that Jezreel is two miles southeast of here and is met by a road east of the Jordan. We need to adjust our course 30 degrees We're to... not going to the Jordan. We're going through Samaria. Are you telling a joke? There's a place that I want to stop. Plus, it makes our journey shorter by almost half. And our odds of violent attack more likely by double. <laughs> is that an exact figure? Forgive me, teacher, but it's safer to go around Samaria by way of the Jordan and not the Capitalists. Would you join me for safety reasons? But Rabbi, we're Samaritans. Good observation, Big James. What's your point? Rabbi, these were the people that profaned our temple with the dead bones. They, they hated they us. They fought against us with the Seleucids in the Maccabean Wars. I haven't even spoken to a Samaritan. And we destroyed their temple a hundred years ago. And none of you here were present for any of these things. Listen, if we're going to have a question and answer session every time we do something you're not used to, it's going to be a very annoying time together for all of us. We'll be fine. And if we get attacked, Simon will be happy to show us what to do. Absolutely. Right. So follow me. So this, uh, you know, fictitious version of, an, of a, maybe one of the conversations they would have had with Jesus on the road. I love that he says, guys, if we're going to have to have a question and answer session, every time I ask you to do something you don't want to, this is going to be a very annoying journey. I wonder how much does Jesus think that about us, right? It's like, come on, we can't do this every time. At, at the end of Tom's sermon last week, he, he, he brought up something Jesus says in episode seven. He said, get used to different right? This is Jesus telling them, get used to different. Now, they, they did not want to have anything to do with going to Samaria, but they followed Jesus anyway. That little step of faith leads us to this story where they, they get to a village named Sychar, and Jesus is tired and thirsty, so he stops at a well. The disciples are hungry, so they go and look for food. And then we're going to dig into this, this story in Scripture um, what happens when Jesus, around noon in the heat of the day, is at a Samaritan well? When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So Jesus is alone at this well. Um, he's tired and exhausted from his journey. He needs a drink. And he breaks a whole bunch of cultural and societal barriers asking for a drink of water. He, he does the unthinkable. First, he, he's asking a Samaritan for a drink. Now, this is unthinkable for a few reasons. It's first that they didn't even really talk to each other. You, you heard in, in one of Jesus' disciples, I think it was Andrew, said, I've never even spoken to a Samaritan. They didn't have any relationship. They were, there was a blood feud. And so there, there's that. There's also the fact that if Jesus would have really drinking out of the Samaritan woman's jar, he would have been ceremonially unclean. 
right? This is the same thing we see kind of get brought up with the story of the Good Samaritan, which we're not going to get into today, but it's the same principle at work. So Jesus crosses that barrier and blows right through it, asks for a drink of water. Not only that, but it's Jesus who's a man, and he's speaking with a woman. In those days, that, that was taboo. That was not allowed, especially, and I found this out, especially a Jewish rabbi was not to speak to a woman in public. Societal norms, cultural norms, and Jesus busts right through them. Asked this woman for a drink of water. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And so John, as he's writing this gospel, he includes some parentheticals so that we'll understand. It's kind of helpful, actually. But Jews don't have uh, any relationship with Samaritans. And the woman is confused. She's acknowledging, hey, I know you're, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How, how is this happening? Well, Jesus really turns it around on her as they start talking. Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus uh, doesn't necessarily answer her question. Um, he really draws the attention to himself. And what he basically tells the woman is, our roles should be reversed. I know I asked you for a drink of water. You're really the one that should be asking me for a drink of water. And then he, he doesn't say that he has just normal water. He says that he has living water. Now, now the words here in the Greek, it could mean flowing water. Or it could mean living water like eternal water water. This is common in the Gospel of John especially. Jesus speaks with a lot of double meaning, right? We just saw Nicodemus last week get, get told that he had to get born again, and he's like, what? Jesus talks in other ways about being the light of the world. Here he's talking about having living water. These are metaphors to convey something of the truth of God and what it's like to have God at work in your life. And Jesus tells her, uh, basically, that he is going to give her living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So the woman take, takes the reasonable road. She thinks he's talking about a stream of water, right? The good, nice flowing stream. Um, but she's confused. She says, you're, you're at this deep well. You don't have anything to get the water with. How are you going to do that? And then she goes a step further and she says, are you, do you think you're greater than one of the patriarchs that we both draw our lineage to, Jacob, the one who dug this well? Now, the irony is we all know that Jesus is greater than Jacob, right? He, he is. He's greater than Jacob. Um, but Jesus, uh, he, he decides at that point to not get into that. And he responds, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus chooses not to talk about the Jacob thing, and he tries to address back to the, what kind of water is it that he is offering her? And he says, 
this, this living water, it does something. Um, it, it will quench your thirst in a way that normal water will not. And then he says, not just that, but it's going to be something that produces in you eternal life. What we know Jesus is talking about, because later in John 7, he actually clarifies, and he says, the living water I'm talking about is the spirit that's given to people. Jesus is talking about the new life that's possible when we place our faith in him, the new life that comes into our life when the Holy Spirit is born again in our hearts, when we experience the life of God infusing our lives. This woman does not quite understand that yet, and understandably, I don't think I would have either. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she, she wants what Jesus is offering, but she doesn't get the fullness of what he's offering, right? In her mind, if I didn't have to go to that well and get water every day, man, that would be great. If you're saying I can avoid the trips to the well, Jesus, I'm in. How, how many of us do that, right? Jesus, if you're saying you're going to make my life easier, I'm, I'm behind you 100%. And Jesus knows she doesn't quite get it. So he takes a different approach. He starts a new conversation. He says, go and call your husband and come back. And the woman says, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So this, this conversation got really disruptive in her life uh, really quick, right? She, we don't know why. It seems, I mean, maybe she did not want to have this conversation. So she just says, I, I don't have a husband. She doesn't want to talk about how many husbands she's had. Um, and Jesus... He, he shows that he knows things that really are like special things about her that he should not know. So she hears this, and she, she basically assumes that he is a prophet. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So she's assuming, she's saying, man, if you know that about my life, then God must be with you in some way. You're probably a prophet. So since there's a prophet, she has this question she wants to ask. It kind of reminds me of Alpha. Uh, last week, we, we, when we did Alpha, that, that first meeting, we had everyone um, answer a number of questions and just kind of open up and start talking. And one of the questions is, uh, what's a question you've always wanted to ask God? Right? Here is a question that this woman has always wanted to ask God. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And in that statement is a question. If you're a prophet, can you explain this to me? So she's taking advantage of this, this fact that the prophet's there. She wants an explanation. So Jesus answers. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So there's two kind of things that he starts off asserting. Uh, first, he, he says there's going to be a time when the focus of worship is not, am I in the right location? 
Am I in the right temple? Am I part of the right group of people? Because that had been the big blood feud. It was mainly about where do we worship? And, and if we desecrate someone else's place of worship, obviously that makes them angry at us. But Jesus says, there's, we're going to get past that. There's going to be a time where that is not the focal point. And, and he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. And, and what, that's a nod to the fact that Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Bible. Uh, they did not accept all of the Hebrew scriptures. And so the, what Jesus is saying is that they don't really have a full picture of God. So they, they worship what they do not fully know. And he acknowledges that uh, it is through the, the, the Jews that God is going to send a Savior. Salvation is through the Jews. But then he goes on. Yet a time is coming and has now come. So it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So he's saying a couple things here. First, Jesus, when describing true worship... Uh, he brings up the object of worship, which is interesting. The woman's question about worship is only about the location of worship. Jesus pulls her back to the point. He says the reason we're worshiping, we're worshiping God our Father in heaven. And then he says true worship's going to happen in the spirit and truth. And wh what he means by that, just like a brief understanding, is that uh, true worship's going to happen when we truly know God, and she's coming to truly know God through Jesus, right? And it's going to happen when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, giving us a true life. And anyone that's ever experienced this, when the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, it stirs your heart to have true worship, right? It's a heart response to God. So he, he says, he tells her that um, the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. When I read this, it seems to me like she's hearing what, she's, what he's saying, and then she, she basically, I don't know if maybe it was just too much to handle. I mean, it's so different than what she had previously believed. And she basically falls back on, well, I guess one day we'll figure it out. And, and the understanding of the Samaritan Messiah was, was that it would be, he would be a teacher, so she's really relying on this, um, when the teacher comes, when the Messiah comes, surely he will teach us the right way to do this. Um, and Jesus then uh, reveals himself to her, his identity as Messiah. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So Jesus shows her that he is the one she's been waiting for. He is the one that's going to come and bring the truth to all things. But he's also the one that's going to bring the living water, the new life in the Holy Spirit, the fullness of a new spiritual life that goes on for eternity in Jesus. The cool thing about this too, he doesn't just claim to be the Messiah. He also claims to be God. Because in the Greek, the I am it, it is the I am that we find when Moses encounters the burning bush. And he, he hears the name of God, I am. And this is an amazing story of Jesus crossing boundaries, many boundaries, 
going on an unexpected adventure, uh, being very nosy in a conversation, right? Jesus is really nosy sometimes. He kind of meddles. And he comes to show himself to this woman so that she can come to place her faith in him as the Messiah. Jesus offers her new spiritual life in him. Isn't this what Jesus does to all of us, right? When we encounter Jesus, he offers us a chance to have the living water, the spirit at work in our lives. We get made new, born again, as Nicodemus heard last week. But we get infused with a new life in Jesus. And it's such an exciting thing. Well, this, this leads the woman to do something. This doesn't just benefit her and she goes off with her water jar and never sees Jesus again and we don't know what happened. We actually get to see, in this case, what happened. But I want to show you from the Chosen series the very end of their conversation and her response afterwards because I think it's powerful. Watch this. I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. <sighs> and you know these things, because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> It's a beautiful picture of Jesus coming into someone's life and completely changing things for them. This woman that at one point in this dialogue was willing to take whatever it was Jesus was offering if she never had to come back to the well and draw water again. And when she really comes to understand who Jesus is and believe in him, she leaves her water jar. And she runs back to the town saying, come and see. She tells people what Jesus has done, and then she says he must be the Christ. It's through this woman's testimony that the whole town comes to encounter Jesus. They end up having him stay a couple days. And then in, in that, the concluding verse in this whole story the town people said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. 
It's so powerful because Jesus comes into this woman's life, offers her living water, new life in the Spirit, and then he sends her on this unexpected adventure to be a part of his plan. So, so cool. It's not just the woman that Jesus wants to teach, though. The disciples also are going to keep learning because they need to keep learning. They still have some room to grow. And here's the, the dialogue with the disciples right after that woman leaves to go tell the town. Um, Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? Wait a minute. You told her? And she can tell others? What food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You, you told her who you are? Mm -hmm. So does that mean? It means you're going to stay here a couple of days. It's been a long time of sowing, but the fields are ripe for harvest. And so it's time. Let's go. Yes! <laughs> That, that's kind of a cool ending for the season. But Jesus uh, tells them something. You know, at the beginning of this, he's trying to convince them it's okay to go through Samaria, right? That's unexpected for them, but they're willing to go. They've been waiting for the public ministry of Jesus to start, and Jesus says, now's the time. And he talks about his food being doing the will and work of his Father in heaven. Jesus wants to bring his disciples on this unexpected adventure and, and they're going to do that by going and ministering to the people in Samaria. This ends up in the beginning of Acts. He gives them a reminder of this. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He reminds them of that commission to go be a part of God's unexpected adventure. And friends, now we are here today. We, we are the ends of the earth. But the work of Jesus is not done. We're the ends of the earth from Jerusalem, about as far as you can get, kind of. But God is still sending us on unexpected adventures. I told you about flying into a hurricane in El Salvador. Um, you'll, you'll be thankful to know I survived, if you didn't figure that out. We actually uh, woke up the next morning and the, the hurricane had broken up as it hit the mountains. It's kind of a mountainous country. So there was a lot of rain. Parts of the country had some damaging floods and landslides, but the children's home we were at and the kids we were trying to take care of were safe. We were so thankful. The big unexpected adventure for me was not that we flew into a hurricane. It was that God used that trip and that experience to start to turn over my whole life. I met this guy named Juan Carlos, and he's holding a gigantic grasshopper trying to, you know, play with the kids in the children's home. Juan Carlos was a pastor at a large, large, large church in San Salvador, um, but he felt the call to leave that place of prestige and success and ministry and to go be the pastor of a children's home that really couldn't pay him very much, that really did not give him much honor or recognition uh, because it, it just it wasn't glorious, glamorous ministry. And he shared his testimony with us. And as I heard that, I began to think, man, this guy, this guy is really sold out for Jesus. I wonder what God might want to do in my life. 
Later in that trip, I spent a lot of time in prayer, and there was one evening where just the presence of God kind of overwhelmed me and made me realize that God was calling me not just out of my comfort zone on a mission trip, but to live my whole life in a way that would be way different than what worldly plans thought made sense. At the time I was studying engineering, I was dead set on being an engineer so that I could make enough money, have all the things that I wanted to have. Financial security was going to be great. And God called me to let go of that so that I could live on God's unexpected adventure. That was the beginning of me really considering ministry. And I tell you this story not because I think God calls everyone into ministry. I actually was hesitant to share this. God calls all of us to be part of the unexpected adventure. That's going to look different for each one of us. And I wonder for you, how is God calling you to follow Jesus into unexpected places? Maybe you've seen Jesus in this series and you're more convinced than ever that you want to follow this guy. Are you willing to go to the unexpected places? Are you willing to let go of things that the world says are essential and important so that you can follow the way of Jesus? The question, how is Jesus calling you out of your comfort zone as you follow him? I invite you to think about that and to know this is not a series that we want you to just watch. This is something that encountering Jesus makes a difference in our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We are grateful to see you with a fresh set of eyes. And the question now, Lord, that we want to answer for ourselves is, how are you calling me out of my comfort zone? God, show us the places where we put our trust in the world. Show us the places where we are hesitant to follow you because we, we are afraid we might lose something. And I pray, God, would you continue to overwhelm us by your spirit, that source of living water, that source of deep satisfaction in you, so that we could more and more come to love you and want you and want to follow you in our lives so you could do something. Let us be a part of that unexpected adventure. We pray this in your Son, our Savior, Jesus, in his name. Amen.